we have spent four weeks talking about the book of Colossians. Wasn't that great? I hope you all read Colossians because it just is one of those books that just sets you on fire, just makes Jesus look just amazing. We want to move on from that and we want to spend some time talking about a concept of blessing the city. We believe that God has called us and he has blessed us in order that we might be a blessing to the people around us. If you can take a moment and imagine with me that someone you loved very much was on their way home from work one day and they never made it home. My question to you would be, what would you do to get them back? What would you personally be willing to sacrifice to see them come home? Say they'd been kidnapped and the kidnappers sent you a ransom note. What would you be prepared to pay to bring them home? If you knew where they were, would you go there? Would you seek them out? Would you find them? Would you risk your reputation? Would you risk your dignity? Would you find courage that you had never had before? And I bet you all of the answer to all of those questions is yes. You would do whatever it takes to get the, that person back. Lord, I just want to ask that if anybody in this room has anyone that they love, that is not serving you. Right now we stand and we believe, Lord God, that they will come into the kingdom, Lord God. We believe with these people, Lord God, that whatever is necessary for them to know you would happen. Thank you, Father. And we give ourselves to see that happening for our neighbors, for our colleagues, for our children. Thank you, Lord. I guess a question I would want to ask you is, would you be willing to do these things for them? As we look around our environments and there are people that are were on their way to God, but they got waylaid. They had a destiny. They were born with something inside of them that God wanted them to do. They were born with the capacity to be loved. And yet somehow they've just not made it to the place they were meant to be. And I want to ask you, would you be prepared to do some of these things to see them come home? Would you be prepared to send them a WhatsApp saying, thinking of you, wish you were here? Maybe an encouraging word, God knows you. He's looking after you. I've been praying for you and I feel like God wants to tell you that you're, uh, you're valuable to him. Would you be prepared to give them a phone call? Would you be prepared to follow those prompts and leadings of your heart when God lays them in their heart? Would you be prepared to bless them with words? Would you be prepared to pray for them? Maybe write a little note on your mirror and every time you're brushing your teeth, there their name comes and it's like, Lord, I ask that this person would come to know you, that they would be found. Would you be prepared to listen to the Holy Spirit? Would you be able to follow the prompts and leadings that you feel? You know when you're walking along, you're, you're doing your work, you're just kind of minding your own business, and somebody, son, suddenly someone comes to mind. Would you be prepared to take a chance that that is the Holy Spirit leading you? 
What if you were talking to them and suddenly a thought came to your mind, I should give them 200 rand. Would you be prepared to take a chance? Have you, have you made a giving pocket somewhere in your finances that allows you to have those gifts ready when the Holy Spirit does prompt you? How about, would you be prepared to invite them over for a meal? And if you don't cook, would you be prepared to take them out for coffee? <laughs> you know, for some of you, don't invite them over for a meal. But would you be prepared to eat with them? Maybe you've heard about them getting a, prom a promotion. Would you call them up and would you just say, gosh, I want to celebrate with you. How about we, we go out for a meal? Would you pre be prepared to serve them? If you heard about some difficulty in their life, would you be prepared to pick their children up from school for them? Would you be prepared to do their laundry? Would you be prepared to visit them when they're broken and sad? Would you, would you be prepared to give them something that they need? Would you be open to listening for the needs that they have? And would you be prepared to do something about those? SALT is an acronym that we use for the way we share the gospel. So would you be prepared to share the gospel with them? Would you be prepared to start a conversation? Ask them questions, listen to their answers, and then tell them your story. Tell them what God has done for you. Tell them who Jesus is. Are these things you would be prepared to do? It feels a little bit sober here, but I guess it is a sober moment when you think. These are the people around us who never made it home. What would we be, we be prepared to do for them? We're going to be spending some time in Luke 15, and there we will learn what Jesus was prepared to do for us when we didn't make it home. It's that very famous chapter in Luke, and it talks about those three parables. The first parable is about the lost sheep, that the, that the man who owns a hundred sheep, and one of it goes missing. He goes after it. The other one is about a woman who owns ten coins, and one of them gets lost. They weren't like ten cents. They were the decoration coins that they used in those days to beautify themselves and one of those coins had gone missing and how she searched until she found it and last of all is the parable of the father with the two sons and the one son takes his inheritance goes off spends it all this chapter starts like this now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. <laughs> you know, Jesus was such a revolutionary. He was such a revolutionary. He didn't toe the line. He didn't do, the way, do it the way everyone expected to. And at that moment, he is busy um, preaching, going around the different towns. And it says that 
tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. There was something so persuasive about Jesus that every kind of person was trying to get to him. If we could just hear one more word, if we could just touch the hem of his garment, if we could just be there with him, something amazing will happen. Something amazing will happen. And then there's this other group of people called the Pharisees who were the teachers of the law. They were like the religious, very good people in society. They didn't sin, or not that anyone knew about it anyway. <laughs> they gave an appearance of righteousness at every turn. And they'd come and they want to hear from Jesus and they're thinking, wow, this is a great preacher. We want to also hear. And they come around and lo and behold, there are people all around that they just can't stand. It's like the Pharisees had their own personal table. And around this table, they only wanted People just like them. People who spoke the same, looked the same, thought the same. When I think about it, I think about it kind of as they have a very fragile righteousness. They had spent years obeying the rules and doing everything right, but they were terrified. They'd worked so hard to create the sense of goodness about them that they were terrified that someone would ruin it. And as these sinners and tax collectors are around, they were, they were terrified that somehow the sin that was on these other people would contaminate them. It's like their righteousness could be easily broken. They were hanging on by a thread, like trying so hard to maintain it. Jesus had the absolute opposite. You know, around Jesus' table, there are every kind of people. And he has a kind of righteousness that he is carrying that is not about um, obeying the rules. It's about a relationship with his heavenly father. It's about the fact that he is loved. He is absolutely loved. There is nothing that can separate him from the love that he experiences with his father. He is absolutely certain that God is going to speak to him, lead him, empower him, make a way for him, show him what to do. He's not running around fearful and anxious. He's absolutely sure that everything's going to be okay, that he's taken care of, that he belongs. And as a result, when people who don't look like him, talk like him, or even think like him, they don't value the same things as him, when they hang around, he's not afraid that somehow the way they think is going to contaminate him. He's absolutely convinced that the way he thinks is going to influence them. I have a connect group of some ladies who are just amazing. I have watched how these ladies have come in as individual Christians, how they've bonded with their friends, and they've they formed this tight-knit unit that encourages one another, loves one another. I've seen how their confidence in the fact that God loves them has grown, and how suddenly they've, they've blossomed and come out of their shell, and they, they're not afraid to share who they are, and they just, they're becoming more and more beautiful and more and more glorious. But the 
other thing I've noticed is how the more they know Jesus and the more they spend time with him, how that righteousness that they are carrying is becoming an invasive force in their environments. I've seen how they've invited people, how they've brought people along, how those people have been changed in turn. And on our part of us, I, you know, I think of some very incredible people in this church. I think of Mike and Wesley and Kun and many of you who have, who have gone into your environments and the righteousness you carry is invading in those areas. People around you are coming and just like Jesus are gathering around you, asking you questions, wanting to know what's going on. As you invite them, they, they're intrigued. They're intrigued by the love and the life that you carry. I want to commend you for carrying that kind of righteousness, that kind of Jesus righteousness, that invasive, unconquerable righteousness that is not based on keeping the laws, it's based on hearing his voice and following him, being led by him, being loved by him. And it's a righteousness that exceeds anything you could have by obeying the laws. Some of you don't even remember the laws. 120 is the speed limit. Have you got it? But some of you are so pursuing God and his vision and what he wants to do on earth that you're not even trying to not do those bad things. You're just so trying to do and live with him and do the glorious things and feeling the life and the, the love and the energy and the faith that comes from being with Jesus. In another place in Scripture, in Mark 2, it says, While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now, Levi was not just any old guy. He would become Matthew, the disciple of Jesus one of the apostles, and he would go ahead and write one of the books of the Bible. And when we read his book, it's obvious how in love with Jesus he is, and it's obvious what an incredible man he was. It's obvious from history how he went and did amazing things, preached the gospel, saw people saved, lived a righteous life, did miracles. But he didn't start out that way. He started out as a man despised by his environment, scorned by those Pharisees that we saw in the beginning of this message. A man who had gathered wealth for himself in a very selfish way by disadvantaging people around him and not a nice person. And Jesus went and pursued him, found him, ate with him. And the invasive goodness, love, and righteousness that Jesus carried hit Levi's life and transformed him into something that is completely unrecognizable from where he started. In turn, that invasive righteousness that he got from Jesus, he went into environments and he began to spread it all around. And it became a revolution. Jesus doesn't have a table reserved for people who talk like him, think like him. 
here's a table that's open for everyone. And his thinking is constantly, how can I find those ones that didn't make it home? How can I reach out to those ones who didn't make it home? Where can I find them? How can I get them to my table? It goes on and it says, Jesus, responding to criticism of him eating with those people, said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Do you know that Jesus lives, eats, dreams, thinks about people who don't know him? He's constantly, day in and day out, asking these questions. How can I bring them to my kingdom? The company Jesus kept reveals God's heart for people. There's not a person, there's not a person that God doesn't have a dream for. You know, when he made them, when he wove them together in his mother's womb, he had a dream for their life. That person sitting next to you at work, have you ever wondered what God's dream is for them? That boss who's irritating the heck out of you, have you ever wondered what God's dream is for them? That sister that seeps Keep stealing your clothes. Have you ever wondered? <laughs> so now these Pharisees are complaining about Jesus having all these sinners and tax collectors around him. And in answer to their complaining, he says this, he tells them this parable. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? We sang that today. So delighted. The word I want you to notice this is, notice here, is that Jesus doesn't go after the sheep until it's nightfall. Or this man doesn't go after the sheep until it's nightfall. He doesn't go after the sheep until it's cold. He goes after the sheep until he finds it. It's like, I will not stop until I find that person. Sheep may not be the most intelli intelligent animals in the world. You know, they have a habit of wandering off, apparently. I've never kept sheep. And to be honest, probably never will. But they, they have a habit of going wandering off, and they have a habit of doing dumb things, things that are dangerous, things that are bad for them. I mean, these are only half the pictures that I've... No, they are like a tenth of the pictures I found. I mean, they were uh, sheep down ditches, sheep caught in wire, ah, just every, you know, just like, come on. <laughs> you know, just try a little bit to preserve your life. There were sheep caught in, you know, all that wool just, they just walked into brambles, like into thorn bushes, and there they were, couldn't move. I mean, it's like, somehow, somehow, you know, sheep without a shepherd just get themselves into trouble. And some of that trouble that sheep get themselves into 
is all their own doing. Really, they just made bad choices, they walked the wrong way, they didn't listen to what was good and right and proper. But then sometimes those sheep, away from the shepherd, are just susceptible to wolves, to thieves, to traps, and they find themselves caught in situations that they can't get out of. I'm going to need sound. Thank you. He puts the 99 into the pen, and he goes after and he searches for the lost sheep until he finds it. And he's very particular with that language. He goes after the sheep until he finds it. And to me, that just shows the relentlessness of our Father. What we do at IJM is we go look for that lost sheep, that girl that's being abused, and we will search for her until we find her. That's how our Father has loved us. That's how we are called to love others. Not to search for them until we've satisfied ourselves. Not to search for them until it gets really hard. But to go after them until we find them. To be relentless in our love for those that are abused, for those that are oppressed, for those that are being held down. This isn't an advert for IJM, although if you want to support them, please do. 35 million people in the world in slavery. I want to propose something to you, that they're probably a lot more than that. The Bible talks about the fact that in Romans that who you give your life to serve becomes your master and you become its slave. And I want to propose to you that there are many sheep that God wants home, that have wandered away and found themselves trapped. Trapped in situations they don't know how to get out of. Trapped in poverty, trapped in bitterness, trapped in pain and heartache, trapped in abusive relationships, trapped in just a workaholic mindset that they can't get off the treadmill, trapped in a way that they just can't get out. And I want to propose to you that all around you, there are people crying out for deliverance. And they come to you and they've got big smiles on their face and they pretend that they're really happy and they go home at night and they cry. Think for a moment before you knew the Lord. Like a year or two before you finally made the decision to follow Him. I want you to think about what the Holy Spirit was doing in your life. Seriously. I remember that time. I remember that I was having sleepless nights. I was having nightmares. I, every night I would go to sleep and I would dream of like gruesome killings and terrible ordeals. And what was happening 
is that the Holy Spirit was showing me what was in my heart. The anger and the rage that was burning inside of me from things I'd gone through was manifesting as these terrible dreams. And my heart was crying out, I have to get free of this. I have to get free of this. I would, I would come home from university and I would sit in my little room all by myself and the depth of the loneliness was unbearable. I had friends that I could call at any moment, but there was nothing that made me feel connected to people around me. And then Jesus walked into my world, and he didn't walk into my world as a giant angel. He walked into my world as a person. And that person, her name was Sheila. She was relentless. Guys, relentless to the point where I was like ready to get a court order against her. I mean, seriously, she called me just at, you know, I don't know how many times a day. She met me outside my university lectures as I came out. She was there at my door knocking just when I was about to do something I shouldn't. You know, she was, she was, just, she was just relentless going after me. And finally, one day, I was just like, to get this woman off my back, I'm just going to do what she says. And lo and behold, that's when I met Jesus. Well, it was a process. I, I want to be honest with you. I think most people's journeys into the kingdom was a process. You know, I, I, I made a commitment to the Lord, but she still had to be relentless with me after that because I still feel filled with fear and insecurity and selfishness and pride and all kinds of things that kept me away from the things that really would have helped me and drove me to things that were not what I was supposed to be doing. And she relentlessly kept on pursuing me even after that until at some stage I had enough of Jesus inside of me that I could stand on my own two feet. And then you know what she said to me? She said, go and find someone like I found you. And believe it or not, every nation Joburg, with its multiple thousands of people, that's how we started. I was the first woman in that church. Yeah. She pursued me and wouldn't stop. And then she taught me how to pursue someone and not stop. And we just kept pursuing people. Not everyone ended up in the church, but we just kept doing it. Guys, you know, I, I feel like this is quite a serious message today. You know, you know, and I, I'm so sorry about that. I should have put some jokes in it, and I don't know where Andrew is right now, but I, I need him for his jokes. So just, I want you to look inside your heart and say, God loves me. <laughs> But we're going to get even more serious now. That's just to warn you, now we're going deeper. A great preacher of the 1800s said this, If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms around their knees imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. 
<laughs> Let's just laugh at that. Can we just laugh out of joy and the truth of it and how deeply it's convicting your heart right now? Maybe we should just go, ouch. Can we all go, ouch? <laughs> My parents used to take us to the beach a lot. And that's not a picture of me. I'm sure I was that cute, though. I'm sure of that. But um, my dad used to take us into the waves when we were very little, probably about that age. And we didn't have those kind of surfboards. We had those boogie boards, you know, those like kind of rounded, smaller ones that you can actually carry. <laughs> and he would take us into the waves, and he would be with us, and we would be in certain places where it was good to catch the waves. He would take us there. And he, we, would, we would kind of lie with our tummies on the boogie board with our backs to the wave. He would hold the boogie board and he would be watching the waves. And I would be like lying on the boogie board and kind of looking over my shoulder at these huge waves that were coming up. And I would have this intense feeling of terror and excitement at the same time. He's like, like, I'm probably going to die, but it's going to be great. <laughs> and, you know, this wave would loom up behind me. My dad would be holding the board, and then he would say, kick, kick. I mean, kick, 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 kick. And I would just start kicking like crazy. You know, like, if I don't kick, I'm going to die. And I would start kicking and moving forward a little bit. And the wave would catch me and zoot me along the water, and I'd go flying up the beach as the wave went up the beach. Oh my gosh, it was so exhilarating. So exhilarating. Probably if I did it now, I wouldn't, may, it maybe wouldn't be so great. But lots of things were, were great about it. It's just being with my dad. But it was also this feeling of this, like, these relentless waves that are so powerful and they are so incredible. And it's like there's this mixture of terror, excitement, and joy all at the same time. And somehow I feel like the love of God is like that. You know, it's so holy and it's so pure that it's like when you look at it, it's like it takes your breath away and you want it so badly. But oh my word, at the same time, you're so terrified that you won't meet up. You're so, you're so like, uh, you know, how will it be? What's going to happen? And it's like this relentless pursuing thing. It's like, you know, you can't stop it. You know, I could no more hold back those waves than... I don't know, drink the ocean. And I feel like that's the picture that God wants to show us of his love. This relentless love that leaves the 99, leaves the comfort, comfortable places, leaves the places of prestige and honor and goes after that one into the thickets and the hard places and the difficult places. Even when that sheep has got there himself, even when it's the sheep's fault, unrelenting pursuit of those who haven't come home. God's relentless pursuit of people reveals his heart for them. The parable finishes like this, and it says, And when he finds it, the sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. 
I'm full of cute children today, you know what I'm saying? But I feel like God wants to partner with us so that we can have the joy that he experiences of finding the lost. I want to propose to you that he really doesn't need us, but I want to propose to you that he loves you so much that he's unwilling to let himself have that joy without you there. And that his desire is that you would, you would feel the joy that comes when someone comes home. When Joshua was four, or five, I'm sorry, probably more like five, we went overseas as a family. Someone paid for us to go overseas, and we were in America for a whole month. It was wonderful. In the middle of their summer, we rode more rides, you know, roller coaster rides, ate more ice cream, <sighs> ate more burgers than I've ever done in my entire life. It was, it was fun, fun, fun. At one time, these friends that had invited us over took us to the mall, and an American mall is an experience all of its own. And so we were going around the wall, mall and we were buying stuff. And we were in this one shop that was selling all IT gadgets, so Andrew was completely consumed. I was a little less consumed. In fact, I was completely bored. And I happened to look around and notice that Joshua was no longer with us. Yeah, we're in America. You know, it's like we have to fly home in a week's time. You know, I'm like... Where is Joshua? So I start panicking, looking around the shop. You know, I'm, I'm lifting up computer lids. I mean, you know, I'm just like, where is Joshua, Joshua, where are you? So my friend realizes Joshua's missing. She's, she, and being American, knew what to do. She went and called one of the store guards or the mall guards. Guys, it was like the movies. It was like the movies. And it was like, on his walkie-talkie, lockdown, lockdown, child missing, child missing, all those steel bars at the entrance of the mall came. No one could leave the mall. Everyone's locked in. Okay, description of child. And everyone in the mall is like crawling with um, uh, guards and they're all looking for Joshua. And I'm like just like standing in shock. <laughs> I expected someone to come around with their rifle in front of them, you know, at the corner. <laughs> but we didn't go that far. Then we get this message over the, he, he gets a message over his microphone. Um, there, there's a missing child at information on this place in the mall. Please come and check if it's a child. Sorry, like, we, we, it wasn't actually very far away. We walked there, and I mean, every step I take, it's like my heart is beating. Let this be Joshua. Let this be Joshua. Let this be Joshua. We arrive there. He's sitting like on the counter, chatting away to the lady, completely unworried about anything. He's like, oh, hi, mom. Meet so-and-so. You know, he's like, da, da, da. and I'm like, you know, ah. Oh. I mean, I, I don't think I let him go for about a week after that. I mean, it's like, and you know, he's like, I'm holding him. Oh, Joshua, I'm so pleased. He's like squirming. Oh, mom, oh, mom. <laughs> not really enjoying it. He wants to go out and get more ice cream or do whatever. <laughs> but you know, that joy, that joy that I felt when I picked him up in my arms and he was safe and he was home and everything was okay. You know, it was like, oh my word. And I, I, I wonder what it would be like to live daily with that feeling of joy of someone home. 
Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him enjoyed the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Have you ever imagined what held Jesus to that cross? Guys, it wasn't the nails. I'm telling you this, it was the picture he saw of you down the ages. He was looking square into your face and he says, I will not come down from this cross until you are in the kingdom, until you are found, until a price has been paid for you. Why? Because he anticipated the joy that we were created to live in. You know what? When God made this creation, his dream is that we would live in perfect unity with him, filled with never-ending joy. And he looked forward to that, the joy of that reunion. And he said, it's worth it. It's worth it. And I want to ask you this. What awkwardness and discomfort are you prepared to go through to get to your joy? of seeing your neighbors, your friends. Because you know what, I want to acknowledge this. When you start a new relationship with the purpose of leading that person to the Lord, it's awkward. You know, you know that first thing, hi, how are you? My name's Carol, so what do you do for a living? You know what, guys, let's just be honest, it's just awkward. You know what I'm saying. You know, when they, when they say something like, ah, you get to know them a bit and they start saying something like, my marriage is not doing so well. You know, there's that awkward moment. You know what the solution is. And it's like, should I say it? Shouldn't I say it? Should I say it? Shouldn't I say it? Can I use the name of Jesus? Can I not use the name of Jesus? You know, there's some level of awkwardness in that. But I'm here to tell you that it's worth it. It's worth pressing through that awkwardness. Maybe you'll... Look, the majority of times you'll say the right thing. There'll be a few times you'll say the wrong thing and it won't go so well. And you know what? You're going to dust the, the dust off your feet and you can say, oh, well, let's try again. Because it's worth it. The joy on the other side makes it worth it. The ultimate end of God's pursuit is joy. The company Jesus kept reveals God's heart for people. God's relentless pursuit of people reveals his heart for them. And the ultimate end of God's pursuit is joy. Can we take some time this month to bless the city? I'm going to ask you to look around at your environment and find people that you can bless with words. You can pray for them. You can send them messages. You can, you can start a relationship where they see you as the one who has kind, loving things to say. Will you start listening to the Holy Spirit and following the prompts and leadings? Take a chance that maybe that thought that comes to your mind is the Lord. Give, do, love, invite. Can you take a chance and ask someone out for coffee? Are they here? <laughs> Sorry, Mike and I are just conferring, and we've got a really great plan for you. <laughs> it involves you giving all your money, but no, no, it doesn't really. <laughs> would you serve them? Would you look for opportunities to show the love of God to them in a way where they would know that there is a God who loves them, that cares about their everyday needs. And lastly, would you look for opportunities to start conversations, ask questions, listen to them, and tell them your story and the story of what Jesus has done.
Amen. Ashes, do you have those cards around? Fantastic. Oh, has everyone got one? Can I borrow that one? Thank you, Reba. So you, you would have got a card like this with all those, those things written on them. On the back, there's space to write some names of people that you want to bless. So I'm going to invite you to do that this week, to maybe then stick this up, like I said, on your mirror where you brush your teeth or where you do the dishes, men, and <laughs> or on your dashboard of your car. <laughs> Somewhere. And then can you, can you remind yourself to take a bash at some of these things this week, next week, and forever, actually? <laughs> Amen. Great. Can we give the Lord a hand? Thank you, Lord. You're so good to us. Let's pray, church. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you for your grace towards us. Lord God, thank you that you pursued us and you found us. Thank you you were unwilling to let us be lost. And Lord, I want to ask that you would, you would come and put a conviction on our hearts that we have what it takes. Father God, that righteousness, Lord Jesus, that you live with, that invasive, robust, unbreakable sense of belonging, of wholeness. Lord God, would you bring that into our lives? Would you set us free from lies that say we don't, we don't know enough, we're not good enough, we're not smart enough? Would you set us free from those lies, Lord? And for God, would you reveal to us just how much you love us? And out of that place of robust love, Lord God, would you grace us to provide environments where tax collectors and sinners find a home? Would you lead us to people that you are working, in whose lives you are working, that we can share a word, do a deed, follow a prompting, of you to reveal to them that God knows their name and is leading them home. Lord God, give us the courage to invite people to church, to invite people to connect group, to invite people to our homes, to invite people into our friend circles. Thank you, Lord. Father God, that relentless, pursuing, reckless love of God, would you put it in our hearts? grace us to be like you, leaving the 99 to go after that one. Thank you, Father. Amen and amen. Yeah, give the Lord a hand.